I was working real hard on my message last night. You said, you shouldn't wait till Saturday, Brother Fred. I know better, but I, Saturday. And Sunday was coming. I got about halfway through. I always write it out on a legal pad. I was just writing and writing. Got halfway through. And the Holy Spirit said, that's not it. That's not it. So I just threw it aside. I said, I wish you'd have told me earlier. Because <laughs> it was good, what I was writing. So I had to start over. I'm glad I did. You know, it's something when God tells you to pay attention. And do you know that in his word, there is a time when he says, now you better really pay attention. And that just caught my mind. You know, so many times when we were in school and we were doing everything but paying attention, we were drawing things or making spitballs or just doing something. And we didn't do too good when we didn't pay attention. Well, we're not going to do good at all if you don't pay attention to what God tells us to pay attention to. He tells us to pay attention to about three or four things in the first chapter of Hebrews. And so these scriptures will be on the screen. And so he tells you now, you better really pay attention to this. So I'm going to start reading. It says, God who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days, which is now, spoken to us by his son. He said, now God spoke by the prophets, but oh no, there's a final word. God has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things. Through whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory. Now he said through Jesus. He said through his son he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of God's glory. The express image of his person. Upholding all things. Holding everything together. By the word of his power. When he had, by himself, purged our sins. Now, now notice, he's the brightness of God's glory. He's the express image of his person. He upholds everything together by the word of his power. But he said, when he had, by himself, purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Because it was finished. And then I think it goes on to verse 4. But when he, when he, again, when he again brings uh, forth the angels. And he told the angel, But again he brings the firstborn into the world. And he says. Now listen to this. You only worship God y'all. Let all the angels of God. Worship him. So he talks about Jesus. The brightness of God's glory, the express image of his person, the heir of all things, through whom he made the worlds. And the Bible says, he said to the angels, that all the angels of God worship him. So he tells us some powerful things about Jesus. Then in the sixth verse, 
he goes on and says, well, the eighth verse, but to the son, he says, now listen to what he says, to, the father says to Jesus. Now, these are the things he said we better pay attention to. He said, you better pay attention to this. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God. Oh, Jesus is God. He's the son of man, the last Adam, perfect humanity. But he's the son of God, perfect deity. He's the second part of the Trinity. And he is to be worshipped by the angels. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And then he says in verse 13 of that same, but, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies my footstool? That's one of the most exalted, clear illustrations, examples of who Jesus is, his mighty power, and what he has done. Well, having said that, then you go over now to chapter 2. And this is where he tells us to really pay attention. All right, let's, let's see what it says. And this is Hebrews chapter 2. I don't know why you got chapter 4 up there. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. It says, I can, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest tea. This is Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Now, what did we just hear? In the whole first chapter, it was talking about Jesus, his exalted place, that by himself he had purged our sin. And he gave us an exalted view of the Son of God. And then he said, therefore, because I, what I just told you about Jesus, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. He said, you really pay attention to what you've heard in chapter 1. For if the word spoken through the angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience receives a just recompense of reward. He said, now, you really better pay attention to what you've heard, because every word God spoke through the angels when he was born, when he was going back to heaven, all the words that God spoke by the angels. If the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast. And every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. Then he goes on and says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? How shall we escape if we don't pay attention to the great salvation? I just told you about chapter 1. I told you who Jesus is. He is a highly exalted one. Through him the worlds were made. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which was first spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? You know, and uh, so it's very clear that uh, in the next verse it says, that first of all, that God confirmed the words that the angels spoke, the disciples spoke, and the Lord himself spoke. 
And then God confirmed about the great salvation in Jesus himself in verse 4. God also bearing them witness, the disciples and Jesus himself. God bearing them witness both with signs, wonders, various miracles, and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So what God is saying to us is this. You better pay attention to who Jesus is. And you better pay attention to what Jesus did. Because if you don't, it's going to drift right past you. And if you neglect it, how in the world will you escape? If you neglect so great salvation. He said there is no escape. And, and so he gives us a warning. And tells us to really pay attention to who Jesus is. And to what Jesus has done. Now, as we go into these next two weeks, I think we got two problems that we got to deal with if we're going to really pay attention, okay? You know, first of all, let's, let's talk about the cross. The Bible says the preaching of the cross is to those that are perishing foolishness. But unto us who are saved, it is the wisdom of God and the power of God. So, as we go into these two weeks, there, there are people that do not have a clue what the cross is all about. They, they, they don't understand why we're so excited about the cross. They don't understand it. We sing about it. People wear it around their neck. Sometimes they don't know what it means, but still. Well, why are we so excited about the cross? But you know something? There are people who really don't have a clue. And so you have to start from scratch and talk about God's creation and man's sin and the sacrifices all through the Old Testament and then the Passover where God put the blood of the Lamb over the door and how that Jesus died on Passover. You see, there's some that don't have a clue. So we can't assume that they're going to understand the message and meaning of the cross. So we have to tell them. But you know the other problem we've got about it? There are those of us who know about the cross. We know what happened on the cross. We know the awesome price that was paid by the Lord Jesus. But the problem is, it really doesn't affect our daily life. It's almost like it's a, a wonderful story. And it is. A wonderful story that God's Son left heaven and came to earth, was raised in a carpenter's shop, at 30 years of age, was baptized by John the Baptist, and was went into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and that Jesus then began to heal the sick and the blind and the lame. He began to teach like no one ever taught. He taught with authority, and, and he had compassion. He raised the dead, and then he willingly and voluntarily went to the cross and took all of our sins upon him. And he became sin for us who knew no sin. But you know, we know that. But it's like it's just a story. And it really doesn't affect the way we live every day. And that, that is a tragedy. It is possible today as we look at the cross and the awesome price and how great that salvation is that we could leave here, go have lunch, go about our daily lives, and it wouldn't affect us at all. 
I'll tell you what. Once Paul understood the message of the cross, I want you to listen to what he said. I'm telling you, in 2 Corinthians 5, 13 through 15, when he heard about the cross, what Jesus did for him, listen to what he said. He said, if I'm beside myself, I know you think I'm a fanatic. If I'm beside myself, it is for God. If we are of sound mind, it is for you. Now listen to this. For the love of Christ compels us. The love of Jesus that he had for me compels me. The love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And that he died for all, now don't miss this, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Paul said, hey, I realize the great love Jesus manifested on that cross. And I realize that if he died for me, then I was dead. And now that I'm alive, I have no, I have no intention of living for myself. But I'm going to live for him who loved me and gave himself for me. I want to ask you a question. Does the cross affect the way you live every day? That what Jesus did for you and me on the cross, does that really influence the way we think? The choices we make? The things we do? I, I'm telling you, it, it's more than a story, y'all. It's more than just an event that we celebrate. It is the life-changing, life-changing, eternal word from God about how we could be saved and how we can be forgiven and how we can have life and how we can have heaven and miss hell. I'm telling you, God forbid that we would know the truth of the cross and it did not affect us in our daily life. Everything that we do should be done in the light of the death of Jesus on the cross. And you know, and then we come to the next week to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And that's a great story. It's a true story. It's a wonderful story. But the fact that the stone rolled away, not so we could, Jesus could get out, so we could see in, and that he wasn't there. And here's Jesus raised from the dead, raised from the dead. He had said it over and over again, destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up. And over and over again he told his disciples that he was going to come back from the dead. It was prophesied in Isaiah. And so next week, God willing, at 8 o'clock and 10.30, we'll come to this place and we'll celebrate that Jesus is alive. But here's the question. Does that affect your daily life? Does it affect the decisions you make? Does it affect the things you look at and listen to? The fact that Jesus is alive. What does it do to you in your daily life? There's a danger that those of us who know the message of the cross and those of us who know the message of the resurrection, somehow we become so familiar with it and we know so much about it. But the tragedy is we do not let it translate into our daily life. And if that's the case, it's all in vain. And that's why the Bible said, now you better really pay attention 
to the things that you have heard. Lest at any time they just flow right past you. And how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I want to tell you four things that makes this salvation so great. And I'll have to just watch the time because we've got the Lord's Supper coming up. But now here's the first thing that you really better really pay attention to. Why is this salvation so great? Why is there no escape if we neglect it? Let me tell you why. Because the great salvation in Christ is God's only answer to man's greatest problem. You say, well, what is man's greatest problem? You say, well, our government is crazy. No, that's not our biggest problem. What is man's greatest problem? Well, the, the violence and all this stuff about the school shootings. And that's tragic and heartbreaking. But let me tell you something. This salvation is great. But because it's God's only answer to our greatest problem. And you know what our greatest problem is? I'll spell it for you. S-I-N, sin. What's going on in this world today is an example of the wickedness and sinfulness of the human heart that has never been transformed by the Son of God. And people have all these problems in their life, and they don't understand it. Maybe they've never heard the gospel. Maybe they've heard the gospel and rejected it. Maybe they don't have time for Jesus. But then they wonder about all these things that are going on in their life, and they wonder what the root of it is. And somebody tries to tell them, well, this is the root. Your daddy didn't love you when you were growing up, and this is the root. Your mother didn't love you, or this is the root. You got rejected in the third grade. And, and all of those are serious things. But I'm going to tell you right now, the root is S. I-N. What about that do you not understand? Man's greatest problem is sin. That's the greatest problem. And the Bible speaks that the great salvation is awesome because that's God's answer to our sin problem. You'll never be free from sin. You'll never experience the wonderful joy of the forgiveness of sin apart from the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, men, we, we humble ourselves and we come before God realizing that our problem is that we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. You say, but Brother Fred, I'm saved. Praise God. Your sins are forgiven. Praise God. The power of sin in your life has been broken and you don't have to live that way. But I'm telling you, many of us do not have the victory over sin that Jesus won for us. Let me just tell you what the Bible says about sin. Romans 3.10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. Well, I'll tell you, Brother Fred, I'm trusting in my righteousness to take care of my sin. You just struck out. There is none righteous. Let him that is without sin throw the first rock. There's none righteous, no, not one. And then you go from Romans 3.10 to Romans 3.23, and it says this. For all, let me spell it for you, A-L-L, all, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You say, well, Brother Fred, what is sin anyway? What is sin? Does the Bible tell us what it is? Okay, listen to Galatians 3, 
10 through 13. Now, boy, this is pretty strong. You say, well, I'm going to be saved by my good works. I'm going to be saved by keeping God's law. I'm going to keep God's law. No other gods before me. No graven images. Never take God's name in vain. Uh, uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not lie. Thou shalt not steal. That thou shalt not covet and so forth. And, and you say, hey, I'm, 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 and Jesus went further with, even than the Ten Commandments. You say, I'm, I'm on, hey, I, my, my good deeds my, are going to outweigh my bad deeds. And I'm going to get in. No, let me tell you what the Bible says. In Galatians, Galatians 3, for as many as are under the works of the law are under a curse. If you're trying to get right with God and to get to heaven through the law, good works, you're under a curse. For all the under the, uh, the uh, for all, uh, for, as, for as many as are under the works of the law, are under the curse for it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. You say, well, brother Fred, I don't break all the commandments. Let me say one thing. If you've broken one, you're cursed. The curse of the law. And so, hey, sin is breaking the law of God. It's transgressing the law of God. And it said, you're cursed. It goes on in that same passage. In verse 11, it says, for no one is justified by the law. You can't be justified by the law. In the sight of God is evident. The just shall live by faith. You're saved in faith in the finished work of Jesus, not by the law. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. And then 13, it says, boy, love, I love this. Can I just pause here a minute and just, just think about this? Sin is the transgression of the law. But look at this. And if you're trying to work out your own salvation, you're under a curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Hallelujah. He has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He became a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, who dies on a cross. So sin is transgression of the law of God. Sin, and if you try to get saved by the law, you're under a curse because you can't keep it. And Christ came, though, to redeem you from the curse of the law, knowing that you could not keep it. Then there's another example of what is sin. 1 John 3, 14. 1 John 3, 4 through 10. You say, Brother Fred, everybody knows what sin is. Don't kid yourself. We're living in a day of moral relativism. You know what the Humanist Manifesto says? There's nothing, there are no moral absolutes. Nothing is right all the time or wrong all the time. The, the, the situation determines if it's right or it's wrong. It's called moral relativism. It's called humanism. And man, what we're doing today now is we're calling right wrong and wrong right. We're calling darkness light and light darkness. You think people, they have no clue what sin is. That they'll go out and live in sin and then they, they have no clue that they have broken the very law of God. And it's a curse when they break the law of God. And there's judgment when they break the law of God. Hey, it's time somebody told people what sin is. And that it's real and it's still existing. Regardless of what the humanist manifesto said. It's nothing but a lie straight out of the pit of hell. And that's the, the basis of most second, uh, university education. is humanism. 
The kids go off to school and they say, listen, man, there are no moral absolutes. And so it's all right to get drunk. It's all right to sleep with somebody else. And they, all this kind of stuff. And they believe it. And they went off to school with some type of moral value and come back absolutely like they have no moral values. And I tell you one thing, if a, if, a, if, a, if a pastor in a church does not preach against sin and explain what it is, one day they're going to stand before God and they, the blood of those sinners that died without Christ is going to be on their hands. God forbid that I would not warn you that if you live in sin and die in sin, you'll be judged by a holy God. But if I warn you and you don't listen, that's, I've, I've delivered my soul. But my prayer is that you'll listen. And so it talks about this as whoever commits sin. What is sin? Look at this. Commits lawlessness. It's lawlessness. That's what it is. My Lord, is, is, there, is there not lawlessness in this country? Is there not lawlessness in our own life? Well, I know God told me not to do it, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't really believe the Bible's up to date. That was old-fashioned. That was another culture. The Bible doesn't mean that today. It doesn't mean that. Come on. You need to just tear the first chapter of Romans out where it talks about a woman's not supposed to sleep with a woman and a man's not supposed to sleep with a man. You just need to tear that page out. That's what Hillary wanted us to do. But, we, you know, who is Hillary? My God. Oh, see, we need to tear out the hard parts of the Bible. Guess what? There are some churches and preachers hadn't torn it out, but they never preach it. They never preach it. And God have mercy on their soul. I'd hate to be standing close to them at the judgment. Under God, I'd hate to be there. It says here, whoever commits sin commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Going to the next verse, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not practice sin. Now, I'm going to read that again. Whoever abides in him does not practice sin. You say the, the practice is not in there, but it's in the translation of the word. If you say whoever abides in him uh, not, never sins, then it, that, 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 that would just rule out every one of us right here. I, I, every, so many of us are saved, but uh, to say that we never sin, then we're, we're, we're lying. We're lying. You ever had a bad attitude and said an ugly word? Anybody in here that's never had a bad attitude since you've been saved and said an ugly word? See there, I'm glad, because if you'd raised your hand, you just told a lie, and that's worse than all that. <laughs> and so whoever abides in him does not practice sin. Whoever practices sin has never seen him nor known him. And then it goes on in verse 7 and says, Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And then it goes on, He who sins is of the devil. For the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And that's sin. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin. His seed remains in him. He cannot sin because he's been born of God. I got one more thing I got to read and I'm going to move on quickly here. Now, listen, this is bad news, I'm t telling you all right now. But if you know there's the, you, where there's bad news, then there's good news. And so I'm telling you the bad news right now. All have sinned. There's none righteous, no, not one. And how serious, serious, heaven and hell hang on it, sin is. 
But, but over in Galatians 5, 19 through 21, this describes the human race, not only in America, but all over the world, all over the world. It says, but the works of the flesh are sinful nature. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, <laughs> fornication, uncleanness. All this is sexual, some type of sexual sin. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, loving something more than you love God, sorcery. It's an epidemic. You know what the word sorcery comes from? The Greek word pharmakia, which means pharmacy. So what is sorcery? Drug use, drug abuse, prescription drugs taken as they're uh, prescribed by the doctor uh, that do not alter your mind to a point that would be harmful to you, then that's okay. But I'm telling you, if you abuse them, it's sorcery. Let me tell you something. Why? why? It's an epidemic. It's an epidemic. And people die every day, every day from sorcery, overdosing in drugs. And I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's a work of the flesh. It's sinful. It's sinful. Idolatry, sorcery, hatred. How many people are eaten up with bitterness and hatred and all that kind of stuff? You know, they're saying the guy that was uh, uh, letting, blowing up the uh, bombs in Houston, that he was a, a, a under, he tried to explain his stress and everything he was going through. You know, that made him blow up everything, you know. But let me just say one thing. I'll tell you why he blew up everything. Because he was full of hate and full of bitterness and full of unforgiveness. And somebody had rejected him. And he said, well, I'll just get, rid of, get even with as many as I can and then blow myself up and get out of this world. Yeah, you, do, you know something? The only thing when those people who commit these mass crimes, when they commit suicide, those that committed the mass crimes, Though that, that guy that blew himself up, guess where they woke up? They woke up in hell. They woke up in hell. Don't you know they were shocked? My Lord, I thought it was bad on earth. I thought I was getting even. And here I am in hell for eternity. My Lord, the devil's a liar. He's a murderer. He's a killer. And he'll destroy you if you let him. I promise you. And it says here that uh, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts about wrath. That's, that's just, it's anger, selfish ambitions, dissensions. There. Well, that's enough about sin. I think you understand what it is. And it's God's answer. The great salvation is God's answer to man's greatest problem. And my greatest problem is not political. It's not social. It is sin. It is sin. Here's the second thing. You know why it's a great salvation? Because of the price that Jesus paid for us to be saved. Have you ever noticed that the value of an object is determined by the price you pay for it? Why does one house with 2,500 square feet or 1,800 square feet cost so much? And then there's another house over here with 3,500 square feet or 4,000 square feet. Well, why? why? What's the value of the most valuable? Well, of course, the bigger house. See, the value of an object is determined by the price you pay for it. You know where I'm going, don't you? The most valuable thing in the world 
is a salvation in Jesus Christ because it cost the Son of God his life. What a price. Jesus paid it all. Oh, my friend, this salvation is great because it cost. It's the most valuable thing in this world. I am telling you, nothing even comes closer comes close. Oh, this salvation is so valuable because of the price that was paid. And let me give you a couple of verses on the price that was paid. That'll, that'll just bless your heart. In your, over in, uh, in 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19. And if you call on the Father who without partiality judges according to each one's work, God's going to judge everybody without partiality. He, he's not going to have any favorites, none, none of that stuff. God who call on the Father without partiality judges according to each one's work. Conduct, conduct yourselves throughout your time, your stay here in fear. You, you, you better pay attention to how you live in and, and what you're listening to and looking at. Conduct your stay here in fear, knowing that you were redeemed, purchased, paid for, bought. Knowing that you were redeemed, not with corruptible things like silver and gold. Brother Fred, are you telling me that silver and gold is corruptible? I'm just saying they was using that as an example. Because, you know, everybody wants silver and gold, you know. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold. From your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. Well, how were we redeemed? How were we purchased? How were we paid for? How were we bought back? But with the precious blood of Christ. Peter's called it precious. It's the blood of God. It's the blood of God. You were, you were bought. You were purchased. You were paid for. With the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb without spot and blemish. And then you go on. Romans 5, 8 and 9. Boy, it says, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at the next verse. Uh, much more than, now listen to this, having been justified by his blood. Having been justified by good works, having been justified by joining the church, having been justified by being baptized, having been justified by taking the Lord's Supper, having been justified by being nice to your neighbor. That's not what it said. Listen to it. Much more than having been justified by his word. Say the word. Having been justified by his what? We shall be saved from wrath through him. What can save me from the wrath of God? The blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that will ever save me from the wrath of God. Do I deserve the wrath of God? Yes. Do you? Yes. But Jesus shed his blood. And if we partake of that precious blood, we're saved from the wrath of God. Then there's that verse in Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. Uh, but Christ is a high priest of good things to come. With the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, not of this creation. Not with the blood of goats and calves. Stay with me. But here's Jesus. The high priest used to take the blood of goats and calves and sprinkle the mercy seat. But not with the blood of goats and calves. But with his own blood. 
Was it the blood that was still dripping from his hands? Or did, did they catch some of the blood in a basin? I, I, I don't know. But I know he had to have enough to sprinkle it. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, he entered the Holy of Holies, having obtained eternal redemption from us. You know why this salvation is so great? It's God's only answer to man's greatest problem, which is sin. And God's answer is the precious blood of Christ shed on the cross for you and me so that we could be forgiven and our sins forgotten and we could stand before God washed in the blood of the Lamb and robed in the righteousness of the Son of God. Hebrews 12. All right, so... Um, Talks about with the, uh, he went, uh, for, for the blood of goats and calves, the ashes of heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who without spot or blemish, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who, without, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And I just want to give you two other verses on this. And this, 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 this first one, just uh, when I saw it a few a few years ago, I just, it overwhelmed me. Uh, look at this verse. It begins in Revelation chapter 1, uh, verse 4. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and was and is to come. Grace and peace to you from Jesus who is and was and is to come. And from the seven spirits are before the throne. And it goes on and says, and from Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. The faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. I love this. He's the ruler of the kings of the earth. Oh, me. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us. You mean to tell me Jesus washed me? Are you telling me Jesus washed you? To him that loved us and washed us from our sins with his own blood. Boy, you can't get any more personal than that, can you? Jesus loved you and washed you from your sins with his own blood and made us kings and priests to God the Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Now, I want to say one thing about this. I just talked about you talked to you about sin, and I've talked to you about the cost of salvation. Now I want you to listen to 1 Corinthians 6, 19, and I want you to just remember this verse and let it go with you all this week. It says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? God's Spirit dwells in you if you're saved, whom you have from God and you're not your own. Wait a minute. You are not your own. Well, wait a minute. I am my own. I can make my choices. I can do what I want to do. What do you mean I'm not my own? He said, I'm going to tell you what I mean if you're a Christian. For you are not your own. Uh, you, for you are not your own. For you are bought with a price. You mean to tell me that I am bought with a price? And that every Christian is bought with a price? That we're not our own? 
We're not our own. It's not our life to live as we please. No, it's not. You say, I don't like that. I, I want to do what I want to do. I want to I only go around once. I want to go in a big way. And I, wanna, I just want to live for myself. I want to live for pleasure. And there ain't nothing wrong with pleasure. But I'm going to tell you right now, as a child of God, you are not your own. He purchased you and paid for you. And you don't live like your own. Because I'm going to tell you, if you're a child of God, you belong to Jesus Christ. You belong to him. The Bible says to confess your sins. I'll just go ahead and do this. The other day, I was, um, I remembered how old I was. I said, Lord, I'm 80 years old. Am I ever going to be able to do anything I want to do? I mean, you know, like just, just, you know, if you, so a lot of people have a bucket list. I ain't even got a bucket. And I said, man, it'd be nice just to do some of the things I, I'd like to do. And, and I, I got to thinking about what I'd like to do and all that kind of stuff. And messed up and made stupid decisions. You think Peter was impulsive? I make him look bad. I make him look bad. Peter was an angel compared to me being compulsive. My wife will tell you that she thinks I've got problems. <laughs> no. <laughs> I do have problems. But I, I just got to, got to thinking about that. And then after I made a few stupid mistakes. But praise God, he cleaned, cleaned him up. He cleared him up. Wasn't sin, but he cleared him up. It's just like God said to me, you need to understand one thing. As long as you're alive on this earth, you do not belong to yourself. And I want you to understand that you belong to me. And you only do what I tell you to do. He said, I think we'll make up for some of this stuff you miss when you get to heaven. I said, okay, Lord, I hear you. I hear you. Don't you sometimes say, well, man, all I do is work. Work, all I do is work. Then I, when I'm not working, I'm trying to please my wife and kids. And when I'm not doing that, you have a pity party. Just remember this. If you're a child of God, you're not your own. You've been purchased and paid for by the Son of God. You belong to him, and he's first. Yes, and then your family. But I'm telling you, Jesus is first. If the, if, the member, the, if the Christians in the body of Christ ever woke up and realized that they were a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they didn't belong to themselves, but they belonged to Jesus, it would transform Christianity. It would transform the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because so many of us live like we belong to ourselves. All right, here's the last thing. God's salvation is sufficient and perfect. He offered one sacrifice for sin forever and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. All right, now listen. In, in Hebrews 10, uh, uh, verse 12 through 15, he offered one sacrifice for sin forever and sat down at the right hand of the majesty. It was finished. And by one offering, he has perfected forever those that are being sanctified. On the cross in John 19, 30, Jesus said, it is finished. It is finished. I have finished the work that God gave me to do. I'm going to make the perfect sacrifice for sin forever. And salvation will be available to any who will repent and call upon me. I've finished it. And I've done it and it's complete. It's accepted by the Father. They, can be, they are redeemed from the curse of the law. Their sins can be forgiven. They can be a child of God uh, and the family of God. And can be born of the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit can be the, in the temple of their body. Okay? So here's the thing. Say, Brother Fred, 
how do you uh, how do you get in on that? How do you get this great salvation? Acts twenty twenty, repentance toward God. This is the word of God, and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Repentance means to change your mind about Jesus Christ. I know it's to change your mind about sin, but you know what repentance is? It's to change your mind, and you change your mind about Jesus. Instead of rejecting him and just seeing him as a wonderful teacher or man, you realize who he is. He's the son of God who died for your sins and raised from the dead. And if you, if you don't receive him, one day you're going to spend eternity lost forever. And so you change your mind about Jesus Christ. You repent and say, I'm not going to reject him. I'm going to receive him and I'm going to follow him and I'm going to let him have my life. But it's also repentance changing your mind not only about who Jesus is, but it's also changing your mind about sin. It's repentance toward God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. One of the sweetest prayers God ever hear a person pray. It's repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ. Have you really been paying attention to the great salvation? Have you really been paying attention? How does it affect in your daily life? What about your conduct? What about your character? What about the things you say, the things you watch, the things you listen to? Christianity is not abstract. It's concrete. It's what we do every day. Every day. Repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ.